You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. And the person that's just half-hearted, lukewarm, you'll never get this kind of wisdom from God. Now, we're not talking about perfection here. We're not talking about full maturity, but we're talking about full commitment. And as far as I know, I'm committed to the Lord. I'm not in this thing, one side of the fence and one side of the fence over here. I haven't got one foot in the world and one foot in the church and one foot in heaven and one foot down here. No, no, I'm committed. That's the prerequisite to get this kind of wisdom. As you review your walk with the Lord, can you see a steady path of commitment? As you listen to today's message from Pastor Danny, he expresses to you the importance of walking the committed journey with the Lord. Some people try to have one foot in the world and one foot with God, but Pastor Danny explains that this can't be. You must be all in for God. Half-heartedness is not going to gain you the abundant and fruitful life with God that you seek. Jesus says to pick up your cross daily and to follow him. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of James chapter 1 with today's edition of The Living Word. This little epistle called James, uh, the introduction, and you need to please pay attention to what I'm about to say, these few words for these few minutes, because the introduction on this little epistle is a message in itself. It's, as far as we know, the first New Testament book written, oldest New Testament book. There are four choices of who may have written the book. What I mean is there are four possible Jameses that could have written the book. Uh, The first is James, son of Alphaeus. James, son of Alphaeus, you find in Mark 3 to 18, other scriptures too, but there uh, you find that he's one of the apostles. He's the son of Alphaeus. Some believe this particular James was also a brother of Matthew, another apostle. The reason they believe that is because when you read in Mark's gospel, chapter 2, verse 14, you find Levi Matthew, also an apostle, the son of a man named Alphaeus. And some people believe that Matthew and this James were actually brothers. We don't know for sure, but they could have been. Second possibility is James, the father of a man who must have been known to them, named Judas. Now, not Judas Iscariot, but James, the father of Judas. He was also an apostle, Luke chapter 6, verse 16. Third choice is James, the son of Zebedee. James, the son of Zebedee, is the older brother of John. James and John were fishermen. Jesus called them. Uh, from their life of fishing to become disciples and then designated as apostles. Uh, James and John had anger issues. How do we know that? One time going through a Samaritan village, uh, the Samaritans didn't treat Jesus too well, and James and John said to Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on these guys? And Jesus turned and rebuked them, and I take it as he rebuked James and John for their wrong attitude toward these Samaritans. The fourth and final choice 
is James, he's called the Lord's brother. He's technically the Lord's half-brother. No matter what other churches, and I'm not bashing the Catholic Church, I'm just saying that they're wrong. They're especially wrong on this one where they say Mary was a perpetual, is a perpetual virgin. She's not. Mark chapter 6, verse 3, uh, makes that very clear. Mark chapter 6, Jesus teaches in a synagogue in his own hometown. They're amazed at his teaching. They say, where did this guy get this wisdom? And he even does miracles. And then they say, verse 3, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? They don't name the sisters, but all these kids are siblings of Jesus. These are children that Mary and Joseph had after Mary conceived miraculously by the Holy Spirit and then they gave birth to this miraculous child, Jesus Christ, our Messiah. You imagine being the younger brother or sister of Jesus? He never did anything wrong. Golly. James, the Lord's brother, technically his half-brother, is who I believe penned this little epistle, and I think there's pretty good evidence for that. How do we know if it was this James, the Lord's brother? Well, first of all, the James that writes this, he writes it, and here's how he opens. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. But all he says about himself is James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He assumes that his readers, his audience, knows which James he is, because there was a lot of James. He assumes they'll know which one he is. How would they know? Well, he's writing to a Jewish, Jewish audience, 12 tribes scattered because of persecution. And so they're all over the world of that day. And he assumes they'll know which James is writing the letter. Now, 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, what a wonderful thing that God recorded this for us to let us know. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3, what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and after his resurrection, that he appeared to Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, but some have fallen asleep. Some have gone to be with the Lord. Then he appeared to, get this, James. And then to the apostles, and last of all, Paul says he appeared to me as one abnormally born. James there is James, the Lord's half-brother. He personally appeared to his own brother after the resurrection. Why? Because there was a calling on his life. Galatians chapter 1. Don't lose me. I told you a few minutes of introduction, but if you hang with me, you're going to see something tremendous here. Galatians chapter 1 verse 19. Saul of Tarsus converted, becomes the apostle Paul after he's saved. Before going back to Jerusalem, he goes into Arabia. He's personally discipled uh, by Jesus Christ. Then he goes back to Jerusalem and he says, after three years, verse 18, I went up to Jerusalem to get acquainted with Peter. Stayed with him 15 days. I saw none of the other apostles, only James, the Lord's brother. Oh, it gets better. You get to Galatians chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says, for God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be 
pillars, key leaders in the church, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. And the James he's talking about is the James he mentions in chapter 1, the Lord's brother. In Acts 12, remember people are at Mary's house. They're praying. They're specifically praying for Peter. Peter's in prison. And they're praying, God, deliver Peter out of the prison. Well, next thing you know, Peter shows up at the door. Servant girl answers the door, goes back to everybody in the prayer meeting and says, hey, Peter's here. He's at the door. They say, you're crazy. He's in prison. We're praying for him. Finally, they realize it's Peter. They invite him in. He motions with his hand, silences the crowd there, who's no doubt just amazed that he's here. And he waves with his hand, and when the crowd calms, he says, Now, go tell James and the brothers that I've been delivered. Go tell James. Key leader in the church. Remember Acts 15? Council of the elders get together in Jerusalem and they debate the question of whether you have to be circumcised according to the law of Moses to really be saved. Not just faith in Christ, but you got to be circumcised. They debate and it goes on no doubt a long time. Peter gets up and says something. This guy gets up and says something. And finally, at the conclusion of the meeting, after they've all shared, guess who the final word was? James gets up and he says, we've talked about it. Here's my opinion. And that opinion is what they put in writing that they all agreed to. But James was the final word in that meeting. Acts chapter 21, Paul appeals to Caesar. He's on his way to Jerusalem to stand before Caesar, or to Rome, but on his way, uh, he, he goes to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, it says, Acts 21, verse 17, we arrived in Jerusalem, and he and those with him went to see James, and all the elders were with him. Most believe that James became, if you will, the senior pastor of the Jewish church in Jerusalem. Not Peter. One more. Galatians chapter 2, verse 11. Get this. When Peter came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James... He used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. Peter is so intimidated by James and his reputation and his position as a pillar in the church. What's the point? Why is it important that we know who wrote the letter? Well, the evidence seems to support that it was James, the Lord's brother. And that really is a message all in itself. We're about to get into it. But John chapter 7, John's gospel chapter 7, verse 3, Jesus' brothers, including James, said to him, you ought to leave here and go to Judea so that your disciples may see the miracles you do. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. Since you're doing these things, show yourself to the world. They're mocking him. How do we know? Next verse. For even his own brothers did not believe in him. 
Even his own brothers didn't believe in him. They're mocking him. Hey, you want to be a public figure? You want to be famous? Well, go show yourself to the world. Do the miracles before the world. They're mocking him. And here's the point. The person in your family right now, the person in my family right now that may be the staunchest critic of Jesus Christ may tomorrow become one of the greatest leaders for the kingdom of God. Did you hear that? Don't you give up praying for them. Don't you stop praying for them, Luke 18. You keep praying. You don't give up. You better know Jesus prayed for his earthly family. You better know he did. And those prayers did not go unanswered because James, his own brother, who was a staunch critic, even mocked him, now has become a pillar in the church. And he's not the only one. There's another little epistle, very important one, just before the final book in our New Testament, before Revelation, that little epistle of Jude. We read in Mark's gospel, his brothers, Judas, well, it's Jude for short, and Jude, the Lord's other brother, penned that little epistle. Is that not tremendous? Don't give up praying for family members that are critics of Christianity. They could be great leaders for the kingdom tomorrow. Amen? James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Greetings. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Already the warm fuzzies are starting, aren't they? What a way to start off. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. It's a unique book. It's a unique letter in a lot of ways. And one of the ways is Paul, who wrote much of the New Testament, you know, he usually gives you doctrine, doctrine, and then he gives you practical everyday stuff based on the doctrine. James doesn't start out with doctrine. As a matter of fact, there's not really any doctrine in the book uh, per se. There's nothing about the resurrection, nothing about regeneration, nothing about justification by faith, nothing about uh, the the basic foundational uh, beliefs of Christianity. No, he just goes right in, right in. Why? Because his audience, they're already claiming to be followers of Jesus Christ. And so those things are assumed. They already know. And so this little letter penned by James, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is one, one after another of test of the genuineness of one's faith. That's what it is. To put it another way, it's faith that works out practically in everyday life. That's what the book is about. Am I the real deal? Is my faith genuine? And if so, how do I know? That's what the book is about. Some have suggested that James is in conflict with Paul's letter of Romans. That's not true at all. They're not in conflict at all. Listen, Romans, what he's dealing with overall is how is salvation received? How is it received? And it's only received by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. That's what Romans, that's the, that's the Magna Carta of Romans, by faith, by faith, by faith. All right? James is the other side of the coin. James is how is salvation verified? Romans, how is salvation received? By faith, by faith, by faith. James, how is salvation verified? By works. 
I don't work for my salvation, but my works prove the genuineness of my salvation. Faith that works out practically in everyday life. And he starts out this way. <laughs> Count it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. The word originally meant multicolored trials. I mean, there's all kinds, all kinds. Now, who's he writing to? The 12 tribes scattered among the nations. That tells us right away. There is a global nature to trials. Now, everybody goes through trials. Unbelievers go through trials because we live in a cursed world. But the kind of trials that God is talking about in this letter are trials for the one who is a follower of Jesus Christ and trials that have been preordained according to your personal path in following Jesus Christ. My personal path. There's some similarities to our trials, but there's a uniqueness as well. Your trial may be different than my trial. My trial may be different than your trial. You with me? That's just the truth, but all of us are going to face them. I wish there was some other way. I wish there was some other way. Here's what Job said. Man born of woman is a few days and full of trouble. Boy, that's a true statement. I need to say too, listen, these trials preordained by God for the follower of Jesus Christ. We're not talking about troubles in life based on my poor decisions. We're not talking about problems because I've made a foolish, taken a foolish direction in life and I'm suffering as a result. No, that's a different message altogether. These are trials that I endure and am called to endure as a Christian that I've done nothing wrong. I've actually done something right. It's because of my commitment to Christ that these trials have been preordained for me. I don't like it. All kinds of trials, frustration, disappointment, misunderstandings, unfulfilled dreams, unmet expectations, personal loss, loneliness, fear, criticism, conflict, persecution, etc., etc., etc. It just goes on and on and on. Oxford Dictionary defines trial this way, a trying thing or experience or person. Come on, let's get a little, just a little bit of involvement here. I know some of us may, some of us going to raise our hand three times, but right now, right now it's a trying thing. Whatever that thing is you're going through. Come on, raise your hand. Trying thing. Come on, be honest. Look at all the hands. Trying thing. Okay. Put your hands down. Now some, maybe the same hands going up on this one too, because you got not only a trying thing, but you have a trying experience or something you're going through right now. Come on, raise your hand. Trying experience right now, right? Okay, put your hands down. Okay, third one. How many of us, listen, how many of us got a person, a trying person? Let me see your hands. That's the majority of the married people. Some of you single. How many single? How many of you single? Put your hands down. How many of you, how many of you about to get married in the next few weeks or months? Moment of silence. No, what? What are you talking about? Listen to me. 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, it's somewhere in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 7.28, Paul said, if you're single and you can stay single, stay single. That's what he said. Why? He says, because those that marry will face many troubles in this life. If you're single and you can stay single, I'm saying... Based on the word of God, if you can stay single, stay there and you'll thank me one day. <laughs> and I'm in a good marriage. 
Whoever said two can live cheaper than one? That's a lie. <laughs> Not true at all. I could live a lot cheaper when I was single. The woman you gave me. No, just moving, moving. She's not in this service. Praise the Lord. How in the world do I consider it pure joy? It doesn't say you'll always feel joy. That's not what it says. Consider it pure joy whenever you face multicolored trials. How does that work? Why? Why is that the path? And why should I consider it pure joy? Without trials, I will never mature as a Christian. The great mystery of the God made flesh in Jesus, our Christ, the Messiah, Hebrews 5.8 says that Jesus, Jesus learned obedience from what he suffered and then once made perfect. Perfect, that means mature. He was always perfect in the sense that he's sinless. He never sinned, but made mature. And there's a great mystery there that God becomes man and through suffering, suffering, he grows spiritually. Great mystery there, and yet he's the one that leads the way for us. That's the path. It's the path of pain. Without trials and persevering through the trials, listen, my faith will never be proven to be genuine because the perseverance through the trials shows that I'm the real deal. Those that don't persevere aren't the real deal. And many scriptures talk about that. First Peter, he writes about this tremendous salvation that we have. Then he says in verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result. One day in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. And that's when we get our full reward for the trials and our perseverance through the trials. Now, let me tell you what every Christian is going to need. Every one of us are going to need if you're going to persevere through these trials. Every one of us. Back in James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. But there is a stipulation. What's the stipulation to get this kind of wisdom? Verse 6. But when he asked, he must believe and not doubt, because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So what is she talking about? The doubter here is the person who is not wholly committed to the Lord. The doubting here is not uncertainty. It's not you doubt that God exists. You doubt that Jesus is Lord. Not, none of that. The, the doubting here speaks not of uncertainty, but of internal indecision. It is a wavering between two opinions. That's what it is. And the person that's just half-hearted, lukewarm, you'll never get this kind of wisdom from God. Now, we're not talking about perfection here. We're not talking about full maturity, but we're talking about full commitment. And as far as I know, I'm committed to the Lord. I'm not in this thing, one side of the fence and one side of the fence over here. I haven't got one foot in the world and one foot in the church and one foot in heaven and one foot down here. No, no, I'm committed. That's the prerequisite. 
to get this kind of wisdom. You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We're so glad that you took the time to learn more from the book of James today. If you're looking for a New Testament book that's a lot like Proverbs, then James is your book. There's so many practical applications to take away from what's written. So what are some of the things that struck a chord with you today? And how do you intend to apply those to your daily life? If you enjoyed hearing from Pastor Danny today and would like to listen to other teachings from this series in James, then feel free to visit our sermon archive at ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab. That website, once again, is ccfstpete.church. If you don't have a church to call home yet, we would love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Feel free to come just as you are. Our mission as a church is teaching the Word, reaching the world. We trust that this radio program is an integral part of that mission, as listeners are hearing these messages both near and far. Our time for today is up, but we can't wait for you to join us again for our next edition. Pastor Danny will continue teaching through the New Testament book of James, next time here on The Living Word.